thing off. So testing, testing. Ha ha ha. Okay. Hello. This is AJ Jacobs, and I'm looking at a lot of cruciferous vegetables. Is that the right term? Uh, you know more than me. I think you're you're healthy. <laughs> Welcome to the Positivity Podcast, where we explore the skills and strategies of personal development with cutting-edge researchers, authors, entrepreneurs, and experts. How can trying new things help you live a better life? A.J. Jacobs is in the truest sense a human guinea pig. He is famous for his year-long experiments on the mind, body, and soul, each of which have been turned into hilariously insightful best-selling books and TED Talks. Some examples. For the mind, he read the entire Encyclopedia Britannica over 18 months. For the soul, he attempted to live by the Bible's hundreds of rules as literally as possible. And for the body, he took a one-year health quest in which he revamped his diet, exercise regime, sleep schedule, sex life, posture, and more. And today, AJ and I chat about why we should conduct self-experiments, experimentation design, how to find top-notch advisors and create an advisory board, and how to discern of the millions of things you could experiment on, which should take priority. This is a fun one. Let's go. So, AJ, what sparked your interest in self-experimentation? What kind of led to that sort of curiosity in you? Well, I am a curious person, and I think the best way to learn is to dive in and just immerse yourself. So I became a journalist and maybe 20 years ago now, and uh, I like writing your straight-ahead article. That's good. But then I also like experiencing it for myself. One of the first pieces I did was uh, was was not the uh, it was not exactly a pioneering piece but it got me hooked it was uh, I this was about 15 years ago and I looked exactly like this actor who was in a movie that was getting a lot of Oscar Academy Award buzz and turned out he was not going to the Academy Awards so I went there as him. I put on a tuxedo. Who's the actor? His name is Noah Taylor. Okay. He's not all that famous. He had his five minutes of fame. He was in a movie called Shine, which was about uh, a pianist. So I went to the Academy Awards as him, put on the tuxedo, went in, and it was fantastic. It was just a wild night because I had dozens of people telling me how genius I was. I signed autographs. And the idea was... Can, how do you uh, what's it like to be a movie star for a night so that's the that was sort of the one that hooked me I'm like this is a great way to make a living to try things out and walk in the shoes of someone else and, and what about that experience how have these experiments and had an impact on you I guess you know we could go through each, oh, each yeah. sort of one well, starting have, from your 
your journalism experiments all the way to your books. How has each one had an impact on you? Well, hugely. I don't keep everything, of course, from it, but I try to take the best parts, and uh, and they do change my life. And yeah, I guess the easiest way would be to go through them, and I can tell you, uh, my, the book that has sold the most is called The Year of Living Biblically. And that one was about how I tried to follow all the rules of the Bible for an entire year because I knew nothing about religion growing up. I say in the book I'm Jewish, but I'm Jewish in the same way the Olive Garden is Italian. So no offense to the Olive Garden. But I wanted to experience religion, see what it said, uh, what it offered, if anything, for me. So why not walk in the shoes of our forefathers? So I followed everything from... The, the famous ones like the Ten Commandments, love your neighbor, be fruitful and multiply. And I did have kids during that year, so I take these projects very seriously. <laughs> uh, but also I took the, all of the uh, ones you, you don't hear about. The Bible says you can't shave the corners of your beard. Uh, I didn't know where the corners of my beard were, so I just let the whole <laughs> thing grow, and I looked very ZZ Top. I got all, of, all the comments, Gandalf, you name it. Um, and don't wear clothes made of mixed fibers. That's in the Bible. So I was like, all right, getting rid of all of my poly cotton clothes. Uh, so that was a crazy year, and and it did change my life for the better, though, in the end. Huh. Uh, and I was able to take away a bunch of stuff. What were some of the takeaways? Well, one takeaway was, I mean, in the end, I did shave my beard. I stopped stoning adulterers. That was part of it. I used pebbles, so I didn't get in trouble. But uh, Everybody lived after, that's after right. the stoning. I did not want to, uh, yeah, go to jail for this project. But uh, one of the big takeaways was gratitude, just the idea of thankfulness, because the Bible says you should say thanks as much as possible, and I took that literally, so I was giving thanks all the time. I would press an elevator button, and I'd be thankful the elevator came. I'd get in the elevator, I'd be thankful it didn't plummet to the basement and break my collarbone. So it was, it was crazy, because I was doing it all the time. Was it hard to go through those experiments? I'd imagine there'd be some tension of, okay, I need to follow this experiment, but it may not feel genuine. You know. Well, it's interesting, yes. The, one of the big themes is the idea of fake it till you make it, how much the outer affects the inner, mm -hmm. and how much your behavior changes your mind. And it's the basis of cognitive behavioral psychology. So, for instance, uh, I found that I, I was told to be compassionate in the Bible. Uh, so I would pretend to be compassionate and eventually I would become a little more compassionate. So uh, that, was, that was a really big takeaway, that you really, um, you really can change. It, there's a great quote, it's easier to act your way into a new way of thinking than to think your way into a new way of acting. Huh. And that was by the guy who founded Habitat for Humanity said that. Why do you think that is? Well, I think, uh, our brain, it takes our brain a while to catch up to our actions. So I'll give you some example. One was, and I still do it all the time, I pretend to be confident. That's a huge one. When I was writing one, one of my most recent book, it was about health, and I was really, I would wake up, I would be freaking out because I said, this is too big a topic, I'll never make my deadline, uh, I don't know what I'm doing but I would pretend to be confident. 
So I would act as if I were confident. I would call doctors and set up appointments uh, and interviews. I would call my publisher and say, listen, when this comes out, we got to have a big party. We got to serve kale martinis or something like that. So I would pretend I was confident. And after two or three hours of doing that, my mind would catch up and I would start to be more confident. So uh, I still do that all the time is just pretend to be something and you will uh, you will become that. I mean, the danger is you don't want to pretend to be a jerk because then you might become a jerk. So you have to be careful what you pretend to be. It's one thing, you know, pretending to be confident as I'm sitting by a paper and writing. It's another thing, you know, try like acting your way into thinking differently around other people where's kind of the fine line with that you know well i think it is a a lot of times i will see it almost like an acting exercise like method acting like get into it um what's method acting method acting is just uh you know it's those actors who really get into character and if they're uh if they're playing a 19th century uh you know if they're playing Abraham Lincoln, they'll try to get into his mindset. What would Abraham Lincoln do? What would he eat? What yeah. would he think? So that's that's the way I see it, and and it does work. Uh, I really believe that. I mean, one small thing is is just posture uh, and forcing yourself to have a good posture. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I'll sit up now. <laughs> uh, and I'll tell you how that affected my life. It's a little roundabout. But that one came about because I was doing a piece on the Founding Fathers. I was very interested in them. And I don't know if you know, but George Washington had a list of 110 rules of life that he wrote when he was a, a young man. And I decided, all right, I'm going to follow these and see if I can become more like George Washington. And some of them were very wise. They were like, uh, don't gloat. When you are victorious, respect your elders. I like that one now that I'm getting old. Uh, somewhere unexpected, the number two rule in this list was do not adjust your private parts in public. That's literally <laughs> the number two. And listen, I am not opposed to that rule. That's a pretty solid rule. I just think if I wrote it, it would be like 89 or 90. It wouldn't be number two. Wouldn't be. But apparently it was a big problem back then. Anyway, a lot of the rules had to do with how you carry yourself physically. Uh, and George Washington was known for having the greatest posture of his day. It was almost like a parody of good posture, like chest way out, shoulders way back, very presidential. So I thought I would try that because my normal posture is terrible. I look like hominid number three on those evolution charts. <laughs> so I thought, okay, I'm going to do this. And what was weird was it changed the way I thought. It changed my mood. Even became, posture is something that's just strictly bodily. Yeah, but it has an effect on the mind. And it made me more confident and more decisive. And it turns out that George Washington was 250 years ahead of his time because the, you might have seen this TED Talk by this Harvard business professor, Amy Cuddy. Great TED Talk. And she talks about how you're, um, when you have good posture, when you have these power positions, she calls them, it raises your testosterone level and lowers your cortisol level. So before a presentation, she recommends, and I do it, is just really just stretch and 
put your shoulders way back, your chest out, and it'll change you chemically. That's amazing. And so it sounds like a lot of the takeaways I'm, I'm hearing now are, you know, act your way into thinking differently. Yes, that's a big one. And especially with um, the year living biblically, there's gratitude and confidence and all these kind of human characteristics. Right. Um, let's, let's talk about some of your other, other books and what were the, the different takeaways and how your self-experimentation transformed across these different projects. Sure. Uh, well, I'm happy to talk about whichever. There's Drop Dead Healthy, which was my project where I tried to become as healthy as humanly possible. So I did, I, I revamped every part of my life, my, uh, my sleep, my diet, exercise, stress level, sex life, posture, how I went to the bathroom, you name it. So uh, that one was very interesting. And, and there were certainly a lot of takeaways there. Uh, I mean, we're sitting right now in my office and you see this is my desk. I would be on here if we weren't taping a podcast because I write and walk on a treadmill while I, uh, I, I write while I'm walking on my treadmill uh, because that was one of the big takeaways. Uh, always be moving, trying to move as much as possible. Uh, so, but there were dozens of others. What were some of the other ones? Well, let's see. I mean, one easy heuristic is eat out of the fridge, not out of the pantry. That's a big one because the fridge, real food gets, gets rotten. Real food does not last. Uh, the ones in the pantry are highly processed, crackers, cookies, chips, and those are going to last until the rapture. Uh, but... Uh, not that I believe in the rapture, <laughs> just to clarify. Uh, but... You want ones, you want food that rots. So that's just an easy thing I try to remember. If I'm heading towards the pantry, make a right and go to the fridge instead. Uh, another one and sort of a meta lesson was don't, it's unhealthy to be, uh, it can be unhealthy to be overly obsessed with health. People get carried away. Huh. Uh, there's this great, uh, the doctor who came up with a new eating disorder called orthorexia, an unhealthy obsession with healthy food. Uh. And the idea is that it causes stress, and stress is, is just as important as diet and exercise and sleep in your overall health. And if, for instance, you are so obsessed with having just the right asparagus and it can have no so-called toxins and has to be perfectly uh, farm-to-table, then you're never going to go out and have a meal with friends. You're going to be at home making your own. And, and friends, being part of a community, having a strong social support system, huge part of health. All the studies say that the people who live the longest are ones who have a strong social support system. So you want to go out to dinner with friends. You know, it's okay to... Uh, to not have the perfect diet all the time. Uh, it's much more important to have a strong set of friends, have a glass of wine if you drink. There are studies that link alcohol, one glass of alcohol to a longer life. So I latched onto those studies with as hard as I could. I love them. I wish that they showed that the 
that it was a, uh, a continuing, uh, you know, two glasses of wine make you live even longer. <laughs> Three glasses of wine make you live forever. doesn't work that way. One or two glasses is pretty much the maximum. I can imagine for people who want to do experiments in their own lives, especially with something like health, you know, you want to experiment, but you also want to make sure you have good sources <laughs> because there's so much endless fads and trends in health that it can almost be crippling to even start to pursue it because there's all these things. And I can imagine, you know, similarly, if you want to do self-experimentation in terms of becoming a good writer right. or in terms of becoming a better person, there's all these different resources out there. And I think it's a nice kind of combination that you're a journalist. How did you pursue sources and insights, whether it be an advisory board or whether it be, um, you know, your own research, what kind of guided you along in in deciding what you should test and what you shouldn't? That's a great question because there is so much crazy quackery out there. What were some of the crazy things you (laughs) you came across? Well, I was just thinking of this the other day. I was at some seminar and this woman who she was affiliated with some real institution. I forget what it was. Maybe Johns Hopkins, but maybe not. I don't want to uh, to slander them. But she had said that um, this is for women, so it didn't really affect me. But she said that uh, that moving the breasts gets the toxins out of the breasts, and that women should all go on trampolines without bras and jump around, and then that would clear their their breasts and they would never get breast cancer. I mean, maybe she was like this perverted guy in disguise who just wanted women to jump on trampolines and he could <laughs> videotape them. I don't know. But it was it was just crazy. There's no science behind that. So you do have to be careful. Um, also, the whole thing about um, uh, uh, colonics, no science behind that. You do not need to shoot water or any liquid up your butt. Our, we cleanse ourselves. Uh, so I am, uh, I am very much against the whole um, fad medicine and for evidence-based medicine. And there are some great uh, resources for those who want to follow evidence-based medicine. You, wanna f- you go to websites with EDU are usually better than, uh, than .com. Uh, the Mayo Clinic, I find, is pretty good. There's something called the Cochrane Institution, which is very good. Um, but in general, don't follow, never take one person's advice, even mine. Get a second opinion, get a third opinion, get like 20 opinions and follow from reputable scientists and follow what the majority say. I find it because you can find some. A scientist who has good, um, who has a, you know seemingly good pedigree to say anything—it's crazy out there. So try to say what the majority of people are saying and follow that. Hmm. Along that vein, I'd love to hear you sort of codify as best as you could what goes into good self-experimentation for learning's sake and for growth's sake and exploration's sake. What are the different sort of things that you would say? If you're going to experiment something, what would it be? And I guess, like, let's, for an example's sake, maybe um, become a more loving person. Become a more, right. (laughs) What what are the different aspects that you would make sure to... Well, one thing is, I just, uh, right up front, it doesn't have to be a big experiment. You know, you don't have to devote your life. You don't have to grow a crazy beard and wear robes like I did for the Bible. It could be a small change in life. And that's what 
I think uh, I, I'm a big advocate of everyone experimenting with their life, even if it's just a little bit. Uh, and it could be, it could be very small. It could be, you know, you change your toothpaste every week and see which one you like best. Why um, is it? Is it for growth? Is it for just learning? Both fun or? And I think uh, you know, neuroscientists talk about how. If you do one thing all the time in the same way, you create ruts in your brain. Uh, I think that their little catchy phrase is, uh, uh, when they fire together, they wire together. Uh, so even doing something different helps you, helps your brain become more flexible. So it could be going to work a different way, uh, taking a different path, taking a different uh, way way to get to work, a bike or a skateboard or whatever. Any way you can mix up your life just a little improves the quality of your life. So that's one it's, thing. It's funny because yesterday I was interviewing um, John Tierney about willpower. Ah, yes. And he was saying how we have a limited amount of willpower and sometimes, you know, if we're making tons and tons of decisions all the time there's decision fatigue and it can be draining well know? it is an interesting balance yes you want some <laughs> things that are totally habits so you don't have to think about them yeah uh but a lot of times those habits uh you can if you mix them up then you can become uh, a happier person are so. there certain things that you keep as habits and certain things that you change all the time well i'm definitely um the things that I don't care about, I keep as habits. So, like, I don't really care about clothes. So I don't want to waste any time choosing clothes. So um, I just have a, a, a line of T-shirts that I usually wear. I'm not wearing it now. But it's um, they're all the same. It's like the Steve Jobs or Mark Zuckerberg. Albert Einstein did it. He had uh, uh, seven of the same suits. So... Yeah, just uh, I just take a T-shirt without thinking. So that's one example. That's really interesting. I, I would think like for myself, I'm kind of along the same lines. As, you know, I care about food, but as long as it's healthy, I don't really think. But in terms of loving someone and showing someone affection, that could be something that <laughs> I could constantly experiment <laughs> with and change around. Cause, yeah, definitely. Yeah. For me, like the bigger emotions and the big, that's what you want to be experimenting with as well. And yeah, and... I did one experiment where I tried to be the best husband possible. So then <laughs> I did learn. Uh, I did not. How did, how did you define best husband? Uh, well, not sexually. I have been told a lot of people tell me uh, I should try to be the best lover and like do all the positions in the Kama Sutra. And first of all, my wife is like, no way. That's exhausting. I don't want to do that. And I have to agree with her. I mean, I'm too old now to like some of those positions. My back would I throw out my back and my hips. So I'm not going to do that. But I will say just in terms of trying to make our marriage better. Uh, one thing was in the whole idea of fake it till you make it, I would force myself to buy little gifts for my wife. And, uh, and then the way it worked is my brain would say, oh, I'm, I'm giving her flowers, I'm giving her a little pen or stickers or whatever. And I must really love her if I'm giving her this stuff. And it actually made our relationship better. So force yourself to buy little gifts for your spouse or partner and, and it will improve. Um, another thing in that was uh, 
we made a list of all of the chores that we did in the house. And this had its, its pros and cons because I actually thought I was doing not the most, most chores. I thought I was doing like 40, 45% of them. Uh, it turned out I was more like 20%. And it was very disturbing uh, because I, there were things I didn't even think of. Like I thought those little uh, liquid soap, I thought they just were like self-filling, like refilled themselves. Turns out someone has to put the liquid stuff <laughs> into the containers. Uh, so that was good in that it made me appreciate her more. It was terrible in that now I have to do more stuff around the house because then she realized how little I was doing as well. <laughs> so You're, you're um, living in a more honest reality. Yes. In a sense. Yes, uh, more honest and more of a pain in the ass. So it's <laughs> like a, a double-edged sword. But overall, probably better for our marriage. So... Small experiments are one aspect of you know what it, what it is to do really good self experiments. What are are there any other aspects? You mentioned an advisory board. You know that was another piece. Oh yeah, I'm a big fan of the advisory board because uh, I had one when I did the Year of Living biblically. I had a board of uh, rabbis, ministers, priests, atheists, scholars, and I could just go to them and. Uh, and get their point of view. I didn't have to follow it. They were advisors. They didn't tell me what to do, but it was good to get their point of view. What was your pitch to them? Well, my pitch was I'm trying to find out what the Bible really says. And uh, because millions of people say they follow the Bible, uh, but a lot of them don't really uh, because they don't... It, it was part of the part of the book was... I was disturbed by fundamentalists who say, oh, I follow the Bible to the letter and homosexuality is a sin uh, because the Bible says so. Yeah, but the Bible also says that you can't eat shrimp and you can't get tattoos and, and women should not talk in church and uh, you have to stone people if they uh, work on Sunday or Saturday, whatever you consider the Sabbath. So I was like, you guys are picking and choosing. Let me see what it's really like to follow the Bible and follow every law in the Bible. Uh, so that was sort of my pitch to them. And what made them want to get involved? Well, some didn't. Not everyone yeah. decided they wanted to, but some thought it was an interesting experiment. I think the key was I went in with an open mind. I didn't go in with an agenda. I went in saying, I want to see what in religion, what in the Bible makes my life better and what does not? What is, what is relevant to today's world and what is not relevant? So if you go in with an open mind and really earnest, uh, uh, sort of an earnest agenda. Um, what does an open mind mean to you? It means that you can you uh, can change your mind according to the evidence and according to your experience. So that to me is a big uh, one of the most important things in life is having an open. People talk about how they have deep-seated beliefs, and uh, I I hate deep-seated beliefs. I think we should all have very shallow-seated beliefs. I think we should all not. The only deep-seated belief I have is that. People should be kind to each other. Don't be jerks. Don't be douchebags. After that, let's look at the evidence and see what makes life better and what doesn't. 
Uh, so yeah, for me, that's the key is an open mind. And in terms of evidence, and I guess kind of that transition from, let's hear what the advisors say, let's experiment, <laughs> let's let's form my own evidence on it. Right. What what did those? I'm, I, I'm and I'm getting kind of nitpicky just because I'm super curious. Sure. What did the relationship look like? Was it email relationships with the advisors? Just because, you know, I'm curious as to how this might apply for someone who's saying, you know. You had, for example, you had a very noble, noble deed of, I want to like explore the Bible and I right. want to like see what it is in people's lives. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are saying, I have my, my noble deed is I want to improve the health system. So I'm starting a company that will do that. Or right. I want to become a good writer so I can expose this type of thought that I see as, you know, the narrative isn't present, you know? And so I'm curious as to how, Similar to you, other people can form advisory boards for their own work, for their right. own life. You know, like, do you have any perspectives on that? And, and, you know, I'm also curious as to the fine line of, like, when you take advice and when you don't and how you kind of communicate that. Because I'm sure for a lot of people it can be challenging. So Right. Well, for me, it was a little different because they were getting something out of it. They would, I was writing a book and I could quote them and they would uh, hopefully appreciate that or not appreciate it. So uh, there was a little self-interest for them. So if you can appeal to their self-interest at all and say uh, that you'll be giving them publicity or, you know, they'll be on your website, they can be a board of advisors and, uh, and you'll put their picture on your company website. Uh, and of course, I find the key to that is just get one notable person to agree. As soon as you have that, then it's much easier to book the others. Like when you sent me an email and said, I'm doing this podcast and we have John Tierney already. I was like, oh, John Tierney, New York Times. It must be legitimate. And that's one of the reasons I was like, okay, come on over. So yeah, try to find just that one person to start with and then the rest will follow. Uh, and I think uh, just what you said, if you, if you give a reason that why you're doing this, not just to make your own life better, to, but to make the world better, that I, I think will appeal to people more and say, I'm trying to reform the health system is gonna be better than uh, I'm trying to get six pack abs. Like, why do I care? <laughs> I don't care. Nothing against six pack abs for, right. for those who might be listening. Exactly, <laughs> if you really are interested, then feel free. What would you say to someone who doesn't really have that first big asset? Um, and similarly, what would you say to someone or, or what would your thoughts be towards, you know, there's a new graduate who's just like kind of finding their way and, you know, they may not have a, a strong reason as to why they needed an advisory board, but, mm. you know, they're like, you know, maybe advisory board's not the, the right thing. Maybe it's just asking people for one-off pieces of advice, but. Yeah, you know, yeah, definitely. I think that I think is the way to go. Like, yeah, get, um, you know, whenever you informal, make an ask. Uh, yeah, make it as small as possible uh, in the beginning. And then once you get your foot in the door, maybe you can help. But uh, when I get emails and they say, you know, 30 second question, uh, I'm going to open that email as opposed to when I open a, an email from someone who is just starting out as a writer and it's like you know, 14 paragraphs long and uh, you know, then I get intimidated. I open it and I'm like, oh, I can't deal with this now. I'll get back to it later. 
and sometimes I never get back to it. Yeah. So if you can just pop them in and also offer something to them. Uh, my friend James Altucher is a, a blogger and a genius, and he told me one time he was, he was really at a low point in his life. He had lost his job and lost all his money, and he spent like a week just, he made a list of 20 people that he really respected. And he came up with 20 ideas for them, free ideas of how, what they could do. So if it, was a, if it was a TV producer, he's like, here are some, here are 20 free ideas of interesting worlds that you could explore in your next TV show. Um, and then he, at the end, he said, you know, if you have five minutes to talk or if you have any reactions, please email me. And I think 18 of them ignored him, but two emailed him back. And those two happened to be powerful people who gave him his next job. So uh, that's what, when I, when I was doing job interviews, I would always try to go in with ideas and uh, instead of just being a passive answering their questions, I'd be, I'd try to say, you know, I love this part of your uh, website. Have you ever thought of doing this? And uh, that to me, uh, when I was on the other side interviewing people to hire them, that always impressed me. Are there any other things besides ideas? Are there any other things to, that you can offer? Uh, well, one thing is, I think, uh, humor. I like, um, and I'll give you a quick story of this guy uh, I was working on the Year of Living Biblically, and this guy who uh, was a freshman at Brown, my college, emailed me directly. He didn't go through HR or media, you know, Brown alumni relations, directly emailed me. A very funny email. It was lively, it was well written, and it was all about how he wanted to be uh, a writer and could he be my writer's assistant for the summer. Uh, he was going to be in New York uh, working as a barista could he, in his off hours. And I was like, well, you know, the Bible does say that uh, slavery is okay. Uh, you know, in the Old Testament, there was biblical slavery. So I'm like, well, can I call you my Bible, biblical slave, and instead of an intern? And he's like, yeah, sure. So that's that, <laughs> so that helped us both. And... He was remarkable because I took him down to Jerry Falwell's church as part of my research. And he was fascinated. And on the way back, he said, what would it be like if I transferred from Brown, incredibly liberal college, to Liberty University, which is one of the, the Jerry Falwell's university, incredibly conservative. You can't see R-rated movies. You can't touch women. Um, or men, if you're a woman. So uh, I was like, that's an interesting idea. You should try it. So he did. He, he applied. He wrote a book proposal. I helped him craft a book proposal and got him to my agent. And it worked. He did it. He spent a semester at Liberty, wrote a wonderful book called The Unlikely Disciple. And it's great because it's it's not one-sided. It's not black and white. It's not doesn't mock them. Shows the good and the bad, the grays of this uh, this lifestyle. Um, but I thought that was amazing. He just went out there. First of all, he reached out to me directly. Mm -hmm. uh, secondly, 
uh, he was he wrote a funny uh, uh, letter with a very specific proposal as opposed to saying, you know, can I talk to you about being a writer? He's like, can I be your assistant? Mm-hmm. And then when he was working with me, he was uh, always thinking of new ideas, and this one idea catapulted him. He, now he's, uh, he wrote that book. He then went on to write for the New York Times, New York Magazine. He's at Fusion now, um, and he is incredibly successful. And he's going to be far more successful than me. <laughs> uh, but he is a good example of, uh, of really, uh, yeah, just proactive, just reaching out directly and, uh, and trying it. I mean, 90% of the time, you're not going to get a reaction from the person you email. So you have to be quite aware that the failure rate is very high. Just so you know, don't take it personally. <laughs> Everybody's so busy. Exactly. That's it. Uh, and just, uh, but that's the only way. I yeah. mean, you, hard. I was just reading. You know, hard work is not a guarantee of success. Uh, but if you don't work hard, there's certainly no chance of success at all. <laughs> that's a great quote. And I think another thing that I've found to be effective is once you do have your foot in the door and you're you're talking with someone, asking them, "What are you working on? What are you trying to optimize? And what what like?" True. It helps you. You know, I guess, for example, you mentioned that you're now working on this family tree, <laughs> putting everybody on the same family tree. So, right. you know, if a listener could send over, <laughs> you know, to your that's site, true. What their are family you tree, and that's, that's a good way. So kind of also seeing what's this person thinking about? What are right. they doing on Twitter? What are they um, writing about? What projects do they have? And that's something that you can see even without talking to them. Totally. And then kind of seeing how you can key your way in and and stuff like that. And also when you're talking to people like to generally genuinely be interested or at least be very good at faking your genuine interest, which we <laughs> talked about fake it till you make. It. Because I think once you do start faking that you're interested in something, even if it's uh, even if it's a topic that seems boring on the uh, on the surface, once you start talking to them and asking them in questions and drawing them out, you know, anything can be, accounting can be interesting. Uh, you know, it's, there, there's uh, interesting dilemmas and, uh, mm. and facets to whatever the job is. Wow. So in terms of best practice, or at least AJ's best practice in terms of self-experiments, we have do small experiments. We talked about the advisory board. We talked about the nuance of having an open mind. Are there any other sort of... Um, well, you want to uh, try to keep track as much as possible. So you want to write down the results. Uh, if there's any way to quantify it, that's often helpful. Uh, I, I got into the whole quantified self-movement a bit, uh, which is where you take measurements of everything in your life. Uh, Are there certain sites that you found to be effective or technology that you use? Well, I... Uh, I used to use the Fitbit. Now I use uh, just my iPhone has a, a pedometer. Uh, but I am a I am a fan of the whole uh, seeing how many steps you can take take a day, and trying to get to ten thousand. It's just a, such a simple number. Um, but I am motivated by goals, uh, and and I'm also motivated by a competition. Not everyone is, but. I, 
uh, I like to compare with friends. And uh, when I was doing the Fitbit, you could uh, see what other people in your circle, how many steps they took, and you could mock them for only being <laughs> 4,000. Yeah. You could, uh, so, uh, yeah, peer pressure is a very good motivator. So in terms of keeping track, you know, you got the, the metrics, um, you know, I guess the competitive, any other sort of things in terms of analyzing yourself? Um, and also, do you ever find that the, the metrics to be kind of overwhelming? You know, I guess, for example, I, I did cross country and ran a lot in high school. And I kind of learned to just enjoy running for what it is. And I can kind of feel in my body if I'm getting a good workout or not. I know my limits with my legs. And so measuring it just seems kind of superfluous, you know? Well, that's a great place to be in. Yeah, that's where you want to be, where you don't yeah. have to measure it. Uh, I find, yes, yeah, sometimes... Or how are numbers helpful and not helpful? Well, not helpful in that one of the big changes when I did the year of trying to be healthy was uh, was not about my cholesterol, blood pressure, or uh, uh, or anything like that, but it was just the energy boost I felt and that was not quantifiable. I just felt much more energetic. Uh, and partly because I was walking a lot and, and the walking actually boosted my energy as opposed to sapping my energy, which I thought was, it was counterintuitive, but, but wonderful discovery. So yeah, in that sense, the biggest change, this energy boost, was not quantifiable. Hmm. So... Small experiments, advisory board, open mind, keeping track. Any other aspects that you'd suggest people taking their own self-experiments? Uh, well, m- maybe just looking at, um, looking at a part of your life you're not happy with and, and seeing what you can do. Uh, and I'll give you one. They can also, you want to have a short period of time to try it out so it's not too intimidating. Uh, one... I, I do get a lot of people mm-hmm. saying that they're trying these experiments out at home uh, or in classes, teachers try them out, uh, and, and just focusing on one small area for one small amount of time. Like one that I do get a lot is, uh, is people say they're going to try not to gossip or talk negatively for a week. Uh, which is crazy hard. You know, I'm a journalist and I live in New York City, so gossip is pretty much 80% of my day. Yeah. But I have uh, I have cut way down on gossip, and it has made me feel better. Huh. It's actually so. It's not just that you're not trashing other people. It's like you feel better. You're using your time better, coming up with creative ideas and enjoying. And you, I think it changes the way you think about other people. Like you have fewer negative thoughts about other people because I think the mind is lazy. So it says, you know, these, if I generate all these negative thoughts, they're never going to get out there because he's not going to gossip. So why even bother? And you have a little rosier view of, uh, of humanity. So I find, uh, trying to eliminate gossip, you're never going to eliminate gossip, but trying is, is a very good, uh, experiment. And, of course, everything has its subtleties and grays. So there are parts of gossip that are useful. Uh, you know, if someone does something wrong, if someone's an embezzler, you do want to gossip to your friend. Don't, 
uh, don't go into business with him. So it's uh, you have to define what gossip is. And to me, it's uh, the bad kind of gossip is just uh, like talking about Jennifer Aniston's uh, whether she's uh, engaged or breaking up with her boyfriend. Uh, to me. The benefits of that, it is fun to like gossip, but the costs are higher than the benefits. You're wasting your time. You're caring about someone who's never going to, you're never going to meet probably. Um, And you could be spending your brain, you could use your brain for some much better purposes. Yeah. And so it's, and even just trying can be valuable because that's getting you your step. And even if it doesn't change, at least you tried. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Do you have any tips for sort of, introspection in terms of looking at your life and what you see and what you want to well one thing with. I love to do I'm a huge fan of uh, of um, uh, metacognition thinking about what you're thinking about so I try to do that all the time you know every five minutes I, I step back and say what am I thinking about am I thinking about you know how someone cut me off in traffic uh, or the rude receptionist at my doctor's office. Uh, if, if so, is that a good use of my brain? So uh, I don't trust my brain. I think that it, if it's left to its own devices, it's going to go into some very dark places. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of rumination, just a way, horrible waste of time. So I feel like I have to be my brain's own babysitter, always like looking at my brain, and saying, all right, what are you doing now? Is this a good thing um, or, uh, uh, or not? So for me, that's the best kind of introspection. And so it sounds like all these different experiments, they've helped you think your way into being a better person. You know, the fake it till you make it, really just kind of tackling your own self-improvement. What influence do you hope your work has on other people? Uh, well, the, the readers of your books. And- well, I do hope, I mean, just to step back a little, I do want to say, you know, a lot, some of my, I, I do think they've improved my life. Sometimes they, uh, they do not improve my life because they're failed experiments or they are, uh, or parts of them are failed. So you've got to uh, take the good with the bad. But I would say uh I feel great whenever I get emails, which I do get, about people who say they've adopted something or um, this idea of gratitude and uh, they've, uh, they're, they're having a tough time, but they try to make a list of all the things that go right because there are hundreds of things that go right every day that we totally take for granted and we focus on the three or four that go wrong. So if I can uh, make anyone's life just a, a little bit better uh, then that's awesome uh and and for people who don't uh who don't approve or like the ideas then uh, you know don't that's fine don't read the books i'm okay with that or whatever but uh but there are some people who find it helpful and uh i love them as an artist what do you what's sort of the secret sauce of your work or what what makes your work effective well, well, first, I'm not sure I'm an artist, but it's very interesting <laughs> to say. But I would say, one is, I try to uh, go in there like an everyman. I'm, I mean, I don't claim, like when I did Drop Dead Healthy, I, was, I started out from a place of ignorance and 
bad shape. I wasn't, I wasn't really fat. I was more like um, uh, skinny fat, they call it. So I looked like a snake that had swallowed a goat. Uh, <laughs> that's my, uh, so, um, but I try to take people along the journey with me and try not to condescend. I'm just learning with them. So maybe that's appealing. Uh, I try to, I try to do topics that I'm genuinely passionate about, like uh, religion, health, family. Uh, you know, I would never write a book about trying to learn to play the French horn because I just am not uh, passionate about it. So uh, maybe that appeals to people. Uh, I'm just happy people, there are people who uh, enjoy the books uh, and I hope to continue because I love, it's a great job. Do you have any last thoughts or wisdom to impart? Um, well, I do want to stress, yeah, uh, I am very anti-guru. Uh, I don't believe in gurus. Um, so my advice would be, don't just take my advice. Uh, don't listen to one person, not even me. Get a bunch of people and get, uh, see what, common themes they're talking about and uh, and then extract from that what's best for you and look at the evidence look at the scientific evidence don't ever trust one guy who says even if he's a doctor who says that you should get a uh, coffee enema uh, because it's good for you you know it's uh, uh, so that's that's one of my big things is uh, uh, just because someone calls themselves an expert don't uh, don't think they have all the answers. Great. Well, so thank that's, you, AJ. That's my, uh, yeah. <laughs> Basically, don't listen to anything I just said yeah. for the last hour. You probably try to erase it from your memory. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, <laughs> and get an advisory board, but be very untrusting of them. That's so. <laughs> true. Exactly. Awesome. Well, I brought some snacks for us, AJ. Mm, some I see. raw them. turnips, kale, and... Uh, and uh, I don't even know what cabbage? that is. Cabbage. cabbage. Yeah. Yeah, that's like so delicious. Let's mm, mm, mm. let's take a, a crunch in. All right. Oh, hopefully, yeah, maybe we can get the audio to kind of pick up the, the noise oh, yeah. here. You the, did uh, choose very crunchy vegetables. Yeah, I yeah. mean, and very colorful, too. Yeah, um, I can't see that, but that is... Mm. Look at those purples. Okay. Oh, wow. Mm, that is loud. Here, let's take a let's take a photo of you eating. I think that's a good shot. <laughs> How's yours? Oh my gosh, it's so good. Here, do you want to try? I am actually not a radish fan. Okay. Wait, radish? Those are radish, not turnip. But I am enjoying my cabbage. All right, let's get this for posterity. This is important. This podcast is and always will be ad-free, but we rely on listeners like you to show us the love and subscribe. It helps others find the show, so please write us a review on the App Store by going to make.sc slash podcast review. 
You can also go to make.sc slash podcast to see the show notes, and we invite you to leave comments, join in on the discussion, and tell us what you think of the episode. Our next episode is with Fred Luskin, a Stanford professor who's an expert on the subject of forgiveness. We talk about the process of forgiving, how to learn it, and the role that forgiveness plays in our lives. Thank you.